It is five o'clock at Greenwich Mean Time. Good afternoon to you wherever you happen to be in the world. I'm Richie Allen, otherwise known as the BBG or AKA the BBG. I'm live in Salford. It is Wednesday's Richie Allen radio show. As always, thanks for finding me again. Ask not what the BBG can do for you. And we're not going to play that. I'm just going to start the programme. <laughs> How many seconds did it take for you to make it's a mistake? Five. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Sometimes you think you can do this job in your sleep, and that's a dangerous thing. Sometimes you don't look at the jingles you're dragging into the playout system. Anyway, hope all is well this Wednesday for you. A little bit chilly around these parts, a little sprinkling of rain as well. But I'm with you, these two hours, a little oasis for me and you, every Monday to Thursday. I'll be taking your phone calls and your Skypes a little bit later on this hour. I do hope to hear from you. If you haven't ever phoned in before, please do so today. I'd love to hear from you. And I will be moving things along quickly. I'm guessing you might want to talk about Matt Hancock. You might or you might not. There, well, there's so many things we can get into on the phone-in programme. So I'll very quickly give you the details. They are posted on Facebook. The contact details are on richieallen.co.uk as well. In fact, the latest article. Very simple. But uh, if you can't get there, here they are. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. As I said, those details are on the Facebook page. They are on richieallen.co.uk. Just in case you didn't get the chance to grab them and write them down. Only one place to start today, I think. The former Health Secretary, Matt Hancock. Not the king of the jungle. He went into the jungle, didn't he? Uh, He has disputed claims today that he rejected expert advice on COVID tests for people going into care homes in England at the start of the pandemic. The Daily Telegraph have published WhatsApp messages leaked to the Telegraph by the journalist Isabel Oakeshott. The messages suggest Hancock was told in April 2020 there should be testing of everybody going into care homes. Here's Good Morning Britain's Louisa James with the story in case you missed it. What will be so distressing for the many thousands of people who lost loved ones in care homes is that the messages appear to show that Matt Hancock, Health Secretary at the time, was told as early as April, a month into the pandemic, by the Chief Medical Officer that everybody going into care homes should be tested, that he at first accepted that advice and then later appeared to change his mind. It also suggests that one of the reasons he was concerned about expanding care home testing was that it could get in the way of the 100,000 test target he wanted to hit uh, every day. Now, uh, these messages were released by Isabel Oakeshott, the journalist who wrote uh, Matt Hancock's pandemic diaries uh, with him. She says she thinks the public deserve to know this and the COVID inquiry is going to take too long. But Matt Hancock himself says that the messages and, and her words are a distorted account of what happened, driven by her own agenda, and that they've been edited to leave out crucial messages which show that, in fact, he did listen to Chris Wissey's advice. He held a meeting about it and he was told that testing everyone going into care homes was unnecessary. 
undeliverable. A source close to Matt Hancock has also uh, told us he believes uh, Isabel Oakshot has broken a non-disclosure agreement and he is considering all the options available to him. Yeah, so Matt Hancock got Isabel Oakshot to, to write his memoirs and he didn't just give her access to the relevant WhatsApp messages, the ones that were sanitised or the ones that that you know showed him to be competent, he gave her access to every single WhatsApp message he sent to every government department during the pandemic. You daft prick. Yeah, pretty much, I would have said. In one message dated the 14th of April, Hancock reportedly told AIDS that Chris Whitty, the Chief Medical Officer for England, had conducted an evidence review, that's a quote, evidence review, and recommended testing of all people going into care homes and segregation while those results were out, while those results were basically, well, well, they were awaiting those results. The message came a day before the publication of a COVID-19 Our Action Plan for Adult Social Care, a government document setting out plans to keep the care system functioning during the pandemic. Now, Hancock said the advice represented a good positive step and that we must put into the dock to which an aide responded that he had sent the request to action. Later on that day, though, Hancock messaged again saying he would rather leave out a commitment to test everybody entering care homes from the community and rather just commit to test and isolate those going into care from hospital. And the WhatsApp message read, I do not think the community commitment adds anything and it muddies the waters. He said again, as Louisa James from Good Morning Britain pointed out, Hancock says the Telegraph and Isabel Oakshot are selectively releasing messages and they've deleted other messages which would put this in greater context. That's what he's saying. Okay. Now, Richard Tice is the leader of the Reform Party and is a talk TV presenter. He's also dating Isabel Oakeshott at the moment, rather conveniently for him. He spoke with Julia Hartley Brewer on talk TV about the leaks this morning. Here he is. And what you will see over the next few days, and everybody will see in these uh, revelations, is that actually that simply wasn't the case. Yeah. Uh, on many, many occasions... Uh, the science was being ignored for political expediency. Now, you can sort of understand the massive pressure that ministers and officials were under, and you can understand they had to make lots of difficult judgments. But what this will show is that we were being lied to again and again and again, and that the evidence simply wasn't there. And this and is the thing, this is the key thing for so many of us who've been talking about this, that we knew that the government was uh, repeatedly ignoring not just um, basically already you know, existing World Health Organization pre-pandemic planning and indeed the UK's own pre-pandemic planning and everything that actually Whitty and Valance and, and Boris Johnson and Hancock and all the rest had said to us in every press conference in that, uh, in that uh, Downing Street uh, uh, conference room uh, up to about mid-March uh, 2020. All, if you go back and watch those, everything they were saying was right. Yeah, you know, you don't, don't wear the mask. They don't make any difference. We don't, we shouldn't close schools. You know, this, we, we, we shouldn't have all these travel restrictions. They went... Right, so Brewer, Julia Hartley Brewer is saying here is that up until around about mid-March, excuse me, mid-March 2020, is that Chris Whitty, England's Chief Medical Officer, the Chief Scientific Advisor, Patrick Vallance, Boris Johnson, the then Prime Minister, they were downplaying the severity of COVID. That's what she's saying. I 
kind of remember it like that. Witty gave a rambling explanation, didn't he? I've got the audio here somewhere. I might dig it out today. Witty gave a not so much rambling. I'm being a bit unkind there. He said in a couple of minutes, a very famous soundbite, that COVID really doesn't represent a great threat to very many people at all. So Brewer is saying is that up until mid-March, the government and the advisors were saying, don't worry about the masks and we'll get through this and it's not so severe. And then something happened. Listen to her explanation now as to what might have happened to bring about the lockdowns and everything that came after. Went against it all. They went against it all because basically the public were going, oh, everyone else, that's what they've done in China. Oh, this is what they've done in Italy. So the public were saying, why are we not doing what they have done in China? Why are we not doing what the authorities are doing in Italy, according to Brewer? So the public is partly to blame for the introduction of the draconian lockdowns and everything else. Shouldn't we do it too? And the media joined in saying, you know, we need to do something. The government needed to be seen to do something. And so, they- the, so the public and the media conspired, or maybe not, not knowingly conspired, but the public and the media demanded that the government do something and then the government decided to introduce lockdowns and everything else. Do you buy that theory of Julia Hartley Brewer's listener? Do you? Let me know via the website richieallen.co.uk because I don't buy it. That is decidedly convenient that, that the public demanded more, the media demanded more, and then the government said, OK, we'll give you more. I think we know better. Do you? They did something. It didn't really matter whether it had massive extra long-term costs or, or, or damage to the economy, as we've seen, damage to healthcare, as we've seen. Half of the stories today are as a result of those pandemic decisions back in 2020. But so many people, Richard, still have faith that the government did the best it could at a difficult time. Why do you think this is so important that we prove that they didn't do the best they we'll, could? We'll get Richard Tice's answer in a moment, but just to blow Julia Hartley Brewer, Brewer's theory out of the water, the theory that the government knew COVID wasn't very serious, but did the draconian things in any case because the public wanted it because the public looked at China and Italy and because the media were pressing them let's blow that out of the water and it's very easy to do that Um, pretty much every country in the world did exactly the same things at exactly the same time Sweden being one of the very few exceptions so does Brewer want us to believe that in all the other countries around the world where they went crazy in locking people down? I remember my father-in-law in his little village in France, just outside Nancy, drones were flying around, rigged up to a, like a PA system, and voices emanating from drones were telling people to get into their properties, not to be seen with people, not to be joining groups of people, all this was going on. So are we to believe that in every other country, the people, ultimately the victims of lockdowns, the people demanded it, and the media, I don't buy it at all. It happened in lockstep. It came from somewhere else, I would argue, with Julia Hartley Brewer. But it's just opinions, folks. Uh, Richard Tice, more from him, the leader of the Reform Party, and also a GB News presenter. Yes, another politician with a radio show. I tell you what, Julie, because... What became clear to us in recent months is that actually uh, the public inquiry that has not really got going yet is going to be a decade-long whitewash and establishment cover-up, frankly, of the decisions that were made. And I've been appalled at what uh, 
what we're seeing. Sweden finished their inquiry a year ago. The Sweden that our own establishment, led by Matt Hancock, was determined to absolutely rubbish and trash all the way through those early months. France is well on with its public inquiry, yeah. as are many others. We've barely started. We can't wait a decade, Julia. We need to know and learn the lessons yeah. as to what actually happened now. And, and people need to understand that we all want to trust the government, but what this proves is that actually they simply didn't tell us the truth. Do you remember that phrase from the health sector? We've thrown a protective ring around care homes. Yeah. Nothing could be further from the truth. But there will be revelation after revelation in the coming days across a whole range of things that that clarify this. And I think will will really shock people. And you think of the, the grief and the smearing that those of us lockdown sceptics got. Well, you're a granny killer, so am I. You know, we're, we're COVID deniers, right. you name it. Me, 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 me. I'm the story. Julia Hartley Brewer. Right. Now, Tice was everywhere. So what else is going to come out in the coming days? He was also on GB News with Bev Turner. And she asked him, what can we expect as the Telegraph milks this story over the coming days? What can we expect? Uh, there is lots still to come, Bev, across a whole range of subjects. Um, like what? Some of which you've touched on. The issue of schools. Why were they closed for so long? Sweden, Sweden didn't shut its schools and mm. ruin the education. The issue of masks, the issue of vaccines. Mm. There's lots to come. And, uh, you know, that will... Uh, flow over the coming days. Masks and vaccines, Richard Tice said. There will be leaks, there will be messages, WhatsApp messages will be published in the coming days by The Telegraph, handed to The Telegraph by Isabel Oakshot, his partner. And some of these will deal with mask wearing and vaccines. Don't get your hopes up too high. I doubt there were very many communications between Matt Hancock and other government ministers about the possible dangers of introducing an mRNA jab to the public that had no long-term safety data and that they didn't need. Don't get your hopes up. I doubt the messages will deal with any of that or indemnifying the pharmaceutical companies who created these monstrosities. I doubt we'll get too much either. These leaks remind me of WikiLeaks, which is the greatest load of bollocks ever to hit the internet. WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks, Jimmy Page, Wik, Wik, Jimmy Page. Did I say Jimmy Page? <laughs> did I? Of course I did. Why? Because I'm an idiot. Jimmy Wales, and then, and then you have Julian Assange, all that nonsense, WikiLeaks, nonsense. What did they put out there? They put stuff out there about helicopter gunships opening fire on journalists. Whoopee-doo. It's a terrible thing. But it's the, it's the least of the crimes of the neoconservatives in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. What did WikiLeaks ever produce for the world, for the people of this planet, to really open their eyes to what's really going on and who's really in charge? The answer is squat. Nothing ever came from WikiLeaks that was of any interest to me. And I'm a journalist. Nothing. Tell us something we don't know. And with these leaks coming out, these uh, WhatsApp messages that Matt Hancock gave to, to, to Isabel Oakeshott, do you smell a rat there, dear listener? I mean, Matt Hancock doesn't look like the brightest kid in the classroom, does he? He doesn't. Uh, but he also doesn't strike me as being galactically stupid. 
I don't see Hancock sitting down with Oakshot saying, right, you're going to write my memoirs now. Listen, here's every WhatsApp message I sent to government ministers during the whole COVID thing. Go on, fill your boots, Isabel. I don't buy it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. This is just, uh, I'm hypothesizing here. I don't buy it. I can't imagine why Hancock wouldn't go through the WhatsApp messages himself and say, right, she can have this one and this one, and this will give a bit of context here, and I'll give her this one, I'll give her three days' worth of messages here, but I'm not going to give them all to her. Strange. And of course, what is the elephant in the room, which people are talking about online today, and that is, of course, Midazolam. Will the Telegraph publish WhatsApp messages sent or received by the former Health Secretary Matt Hancock, messages that deal with his ordering of a lifetime supply of midazolam. Will the WhatsApp messages talk about, will, will they reveal Hancock speaking to ministers about giving people a good death? I doubt that somehow. Do you? I won't be holding my breath. Because that's the real elephant, isn't it? Why did you order so much midazolam, Matt? Matt, why were you talking about needing to give people a good death for a very mild respiratory illness? Did you see the film Jackie Devoy made with uh, the iconic crew? A good death, question mark. It's excellent. In it, it's claimed that people had DNR notices placed on them without their consent and that they were euthanized, some people, either deliberately or accidentally by the use of midazolam and morphine. It's a heartbreaking film. And if it's right, if the people in the film are, are right, because you never know for sure, but it, but, it, but it is disturbing, if the people are right that the government decided that, in the, in the, Matt Hancock decided, of course Matt Hancock, I've got to be careful here, not, not in terms of what I say about Hancock, but of course ultimately people like Matt Hancock are not in charge. They are executors of policy. They carry out policy. Policy created by somebody else. Who, what and where? That's the $64 million question. Midazolam, will we see any mention of it in the Telegraph? No, of course we won't. So this is a smokescreen maybe of sorts. I don't know. Your opinion would be very interesting. I will be taking your phone calls in around about 15 minutes time. I want to get through as many as I can. It does not have to be on this issue at all. The contact details are pinned to the top of facebook.com forward slash bbgrichie, but go to richieallen.co.uk. The latest story will get you right to the meme with the contact details, Skype and telephone. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Now, speaking of midazolam and DNRs and people dying of COVID, people shouldn't have died of COVID, in my opinion. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medic, I know nothing. You know, COVID, let's take it on the face of it, it's a very mild respiratory illness with a very, very tiny mortality rate that was only going to affect people with multiple comorbidities and maybe very, very senior people. But most everybody else who got it should have survived it. Right, I don't believe the government's death figure, its death number, 200,000, 220,000. I don't believe it, mostly because of the way they qualified a COVID death. And they qualified somebody as having succumbed to COVID basically anyone who died within 30 days of testing positive. And, of course, the PCR tests that 
determined whether somebody had COVID or not were not fit for purpose. We know the inventor of the test said you shouldn't be testing for viral load using the test because it's redundant when it comes to doing that. So it's one massive scam, whatever way you look at it. But speaking of midazolam and people dying, a young lady, I couldn't tell whether her ethnicity was Asian or or, or African, but a British lady, a very eloquent young woman, phoned LBC this afternoon to speak to Sheila Fogarty. Her dad died in hospital of COVID, as far as she's concerned. Now, she, she came on to talk about this news about Hancock's messages, and the girl told Sheila Fogarty that her father's ethnicity was a factor in his death. Now, oftentimes, I will roll my eyes when I hear somebody playing the race card. But this young woman was very was very much not bitter, was very eloquent and friendly, and she said something that, she said a couple of things. Let's have a listen. Here she is. Her name is Sophia, talking about her dad who died of COVID back in 2020. Some of this, what we're talking about is implicit bias, um, and some of this is actually... Moreover, you know, obviously I wasn't in hospital with my dad and I don't really know exactly what happened. Um, but it's something that my brother and I certainly talked about before any of us caught COVID was the fact that dad was more at risk because he was from because he was not white. Um, and we knew that, but we didn't know why. And we still don't know why. This is interesting now because this is news to me. You learn something new every day. So she said, dad is more at risk because, or well, he was, God love him, because he isn't white, because he is a person of colour. Again, I would traditionally roll my eyes and maybe I shouldn't listen. Have you been um, able to speak to his medical team at all? Not his medical team. And obviously the the hospital at the time, you know, we spoke to a different doctor every day on the phone. Um, so it, even that was... They weren't allowed in to see the chap. Who, who, who passed away again. That's another aspect of this, right? It was quite chaotic for a lot of um, very completely fair reasons. Mm. But, you know, we now have the time to do that work. And I was actually reading one of my, one of the people who I work with in the campaign team, Lobby, I was reading his article in the Mirror Today. And he talks about how his mum was told by 111 that... Um, ha- to check whether her lips had turned blue that doesn't that's not something that works for someone who's black so and that's not that's not to say that the person on the other end of the phone meant any harm no but it means that you need to know yeah and it means that the the rules that she was given and the guidelines that she was given were created by a system that doesn't take into account people that aren't white that's quite staggering that and it turns out she's right if somebody of color contacts the if somebody of colour is struggling with a respiratory condition and is short of breath and is in a bad way and somebody else phones the emergency line, one, it should be 999, whatever it is, 111, whatever, they don't ask about ethnicity. That's a strange one, a really strange one. And I was very dismissive of this. You know, you're at kind of greater risk if you're a person of colour. Anyway, listen to what she says next. And do you intend to get medical information. Have you managed to do that perhaps since? To kind of find out what were the circumstances around her father's passing away? I I haven't. Um, it's something that my mum is, is looking into and she does want to know. Um, the actual specifics of what happened to my dad is something that I find quite hard to... Understandable. Yeah, yeah deal with or think about. Um, 
yeah that okay. that, that hospital we did get we were with him when he passed away he was unconscious at the time but being in that hospital was obviously um very oh. traumatic was he intubated did they give him a cocktail of midazolam and morphine or anything else why was he unconscious you know, why were so many people, young people, even if they were a bit overweight, you know, even if they had a bit of diabetes, why did so many people end up going, lapsing into unconsciousness and then dying of a mild respiratory infection? This is a question. And and Isabel Oakeshott, with respect, I don't know anything about her. I know who she is because I'm a journalist and I come across her work quite often in the press, but they're not going to ask these questions. So... There's a lot of excitement around today about these messages coming out, these WhatsApp c- communications. But don't get excited. These are the questions we want answered. Why were people dying in hospital? Did this young lady, very eloquent young woman, Sophia, was a DNR put on her father? Were they asked about it? These are serious questions, are they not? It's 24 and a half minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting, of course, live from Salford, here in the northwest of the UK. We are the 1st of March today. That's something to smile about. You don't know how much it means to me. This has been a difficult winter. It's been a difficult winter for you too. I don't have any special, you know, I don't have any, yeah, you know what I mean, exclusivity, I should say, when it comes to struggling through winters. But there you go. Um, People are defending, look, I don't care. You, you get you, Some of our listeners, they really get their knickers in a twist when they hear me say something they don't agree with. When really you should just say, well, I, I don't agree, Richie, and, and just move on. You don't have to give me paragraphs about why you think I'm wrong about Julian Assange. And please don't mention people like Richard D. Hall as experts. Please don't make me laugh. Come on, wise up, you know. Give me a break here. Brambo says, I reckon that Hancock is merely keeping his smug mug in the public eye since he stint on... Uh, the celebrity show, because he aims to have a future career on telly himself after he leaves Parliament. Patrizia says, vitamin D, the lack of for people with all skin colours, but particularly darker skin, is a factor. That's a good point. We've heard that on this programme. And as for senior citizens, how many experts, and God knows in 2020, I had some heavyweight people from Harvard, from Stanford, from, from Oxford coming on this programme, Asking a legitimate question. Why, when you have seniors living in care or in retirement homes, why are they not given, as we get into autumn, why are they not given supplements in zinc, in vitamin D3, in vitamin C? Why are their living spaces not properly ventilated? Why do they hermetically seal people into places during the winter? Why do they do that? Why do they stop taking people outside during the winter? This is true now. I'm not making this up. I remember a lovely doctor. Her name escapes me. She was a senior doctor. It'll come to me in a moment. She said, Richie, the protocol for people living in care homes should be should be pretty straightforward. People need to be brought out in the fresh air all the time, even when it's cold. Wrapped up, get the iron sweaters or cardigans on. Get the snuds on down over the neck. Get the scarves on, the gloves. Put out there in the fresh air. Why are they not getting the supplements leading into the winter to boost their immune system? None of this stuff is protocol. None of it. Guarantee you, nobody was talking about that in government circles back in 2020. It's richieallen.co.uk if 
you uh, would like to leave a comment for me, I will be taking your phone calls in a few minutes' time. Ardle says, would you consider the possibility Hancock is a technical incompetent and accidentally sent everything? Absolutely, Ardle, 100%. That could be it too, mate, no doubt about it. But uh, when it comes to something so sensitive and so serious as your communications, as a Secretary of State, it's just, I'd struggle to... I struggle to think that he's that stupid, Hancock. But you might very well be right. I don't know. Caroline Feely has put a link to a good death on the comment page on the website if anybody hasn't seen it. Have a look there. Hi to Faisal. Hi to Shambhala who says, give Matt a break. His penis did fall in love after all. He wasn't able to think straight. Uh, Paul says, I'm see- I've seen a lot of gleeful... Uh, posting today about Hancock, it makes me laugh. Whatever Hancock's fate, it won't be nice for him and the pack will be sated and then move on. Uh, This scandal goes far higher than low-hanging fruit like Hancock says. Paul, that's a good point. Absolutely. And Thomas reckons people like Julia Hartley Brewer and Talk TV are shills, Richard Tice included. Uh, Thank you for that. Michelle says, Richie, hope all is well. And then she says, I was mentioned in an interview somewhere today. Thanks for that, Michelle. My ears weren't burning. Um, so, uh, but thank you. Rona says, Matt Hancock, the story is released on the same day that the public consultation for digital ID closes. So I wonder which story the MSM will focus on. Hancock or digital ID? It's all smoke and daggers. What an amazing coincidence, says Rona there. You might be right, it might not be coincidental at all. Kiki came on to say, I think the leaked messages still promote the idea of a pandemic. While the globalists have now moved on to digital IDs, 15-minute cities and CBDC, centralised banking digital currencies. Yes, absolutely. Okie doke then, it is half past the hour. Here are the contact details for me, I'd like to hear from you today. It's your call, Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And if you didn't take those details down and you do, would like to call me and I would like to hear from you today. I'd like to hear some women. Are there any women here today? Um, Yes, they are on richieallen.co.uk on the homepage. They are also on facebook.com forward slash BBG Richie. Uh, it's been announced by the BBC this afternoon that TikTok is going to set a 60-minute daily screen time limit for users under 18. Do you see that? Uh, if young people hit the limit, they will have to enter a passcode to continue to use the service that day. But they will have the ability to opt out of the new measure, which TikTok says will be rolled out in the coming weeks. Screen time and younger folk. I'm amazed not by younger folk. I'm amazed by older folk like me. People I know and people I like seem to spend all their time online, like pretty much all their time online. I have a Twitter account. I primarily use it to reach out to people of interest to the programme. And in in some circumstances, it has been useful as a tool to reach out to people to, to get them on the show. But I, if you look at my Twitter stuff and you look at my Facebook stuff, I don't really have an online presence. 
I don't know where people find the time, but a lot of people who I know, and I like, by the way, this is not a criticism, seem to spend all of their time tweeting incessantly, daily. Where do they get the time to do that? Does it impact on or impede or infringe on their quality time with their families? It's strange, isn't it? People spend all their time on there. I wonder how often are they reaching for the phones or for the tablets to to tweet or to interact with somebody. And just a very quick one before we move on. Andrew, the brother of Charles, the alleged king, he's not my king, has apparently been offered the the cottage that was once inhabited by Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. This has been reported by The Sun, but it has been picked up by other news agencies too. They're based in the United States now. There was a lot of talk in recent days about Andrew being kicked off the estate kicked out of the house he's currently inhabiting because he's in disgrace. But now the the press is reporting that uh, uh, King Charles, who is uh, no stranger to paedophiles and wasn't a stranger to paedophiles during, his, during the time he was the Prince of Wales, has uh, reportedly said to his brother who, well, I'm not going to say too much about his brother that hasn't been said before. If you'd like the cottage recently vacated by your nephew... <laughs> and his wife, you can have it. Okay. It's uh, 23 minutes to the top of the air. For the final time for the moment. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And if you called me recently, please do not call today. It's not that sort of phone in. Do give me a call. Have you got anything to tell me about Hancock and what's going on? You might want to talk about something completely differently. We will move it along swiftly, though. It's Wednesday's Wednesday's Richie Allen Show, T-Sin Baldy. And this is Sister Sledge. Sister Sledge, Niall Rogers. Doesn't get any better than this. Sister Sledge, I'm thinking of you on Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. Nice to be with you, taking your telephone calls and Skypes between now and the end of the programme. Again, the details are on richieallen.co.uk. The contact details thus. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Lovely stuff. Somebody called Banjo is whinging on the uh, comments uh, section on the website. I don't constantly attack anybody, my friend. I occasionally call out grifters in the independent media, liars who make up stories about babies being eaten in classrooms, in um, places like Hampstead Heath, grifters like those. If you don't like it, don't listen. It's a wonderful, it's a very simple thing that a lot of people can't get their heads around. If you do not like anything, whatever it might be, a television programme, a band, a, a, an album, it could be a radio show, just don't listen to it. It's so simple. It's so obvious. If you don't like it, don't listen. And, uh, yeah, yeah, people amaze me. I'm a journalist, by the way. It's my job to point out inconsistencies, you know, in the media. And that includes the independent media. Liars, grifters, all of them. I don't mean all of them are liars and grifters. But um, when I see that sort of stuff, I have to draw attention to it. It's in the blood, you see. And um, I hope it always will be... 
Uh, right, um, 21 minutes. There's a slight problem here, by the way, a very slight problem, technically, with um, the telephone line and the Skype. It's happened before. I think I'll be able to sort it out. So bear with me, and I'll do that, and then you will be able to reach me. But while I'm doing that, let me read some more of your comments. Michael Taylor says, I'm in reading what is being released slash reported regarding the Matt Hancock WhatsApp messages. I'm sensing it's a massive look this way exercise. It focuses on testing um, so-called unnecessary COVID deaths that could have been avoided, infection rates based on testing, etc. All of which contributes to the narrative that they should have done more of this crap and sooner or quicker, uh, which detracts entirely away from the facts such as the tests don't do anything, the deaths with COVID are a numerical nonsense. The unisolated virus was never proven to exist. I don't agree with that. I, it hasn't been proven to me, Michael, that COVID-19 doesn't exist. That has not been proven. And I've seen papers. Um, I used to have them on my desktop here. I could bring them up, but I don't have them now. Um, peer-reviewed papers where they talked about isolating the virus. So I, I'm... I, I, I don't know anything for a fact, is the point I'm trying to make. So those who say it never existed, I can't prove you're wrong, but you've never proven to me that the virus wasn't isolated. And I'd see no point, to be honest, at this stage, three years into it, in, and again, I wouldn't be telling anybody what they should or shouldn't say, and I'm not doing that, if you believe that COVID-19 never existed and you feel that it's important to keep saying that over and over and over and over again until you're blue in the face, um, good for you. And I obviously wouldn't censor that. I wouldn't tell you not to do it. But I fail to see the the benefit of that. The, the great majority of people on planet Earth, if approached by a truther who tells them that COVID never exists, you've lost them before you've even finished speaking. They're gone. They've checked out of it, out of there. So we do a lot of editing as journalists, particularly when you create news rundowns and monologues. You leave stuff in, you take stuff out. Finite. Time is finite, obviously. That's the main reason. You don't have all the time you want. But I like to deal in talking about things, imagining that people are listening to this for the very first time. What can we talk about and how can we talk about it? In what way can we talk about it that will lead to a more likely outcome whereby they'll actually pay a bit of attention to it and give it a chance? But I think harping on about COVID was never isolated, it doesn't exist, it's a waste of time, I believe. But knock yourself out. Speaking of that, of course, that has been in the news a lot, hasn't it, over the last few days, particularly claims around Wuhan. And the FBI, that's the American FBI, saying that it believes uh, pretty much categorically now that the uh, virus, the origins of the virus are in a lab in China and that the virus was leaked out of said lab. Right, I'm going to take another tune while I sort out the communication system here. When I come back from that, after having a glass of water as well, I've not been well, the old voices... In, in a bit of trouble. After I come back from that, hopefully I'll be able to take your calls on this. Um, and I know, I can imagine some of you are desperately trying to get through, but there is a wee problem. I'll sort it. We'll come back then with your calls. Don't do that, Richie. <laughs> Don't do that. 
do this. Do uh, Rick Springfield and Jesse's Girl. Here's one I haven't heard from a while. Okay. It, it's like there's gremlins. It's like there's a ghost here doing stuff. Anywho. Yeah, Rick yeah, Springfield and Jesse's girl on the Richie Allen show. I should be fielding lots and lots of telephone calls and Skypes at the moment, but there's a software issue here in this base station of a radio studio that I inhabit, that I sit in every day and I can't sort it. Uh, at the moment, I don't know what's happening, but um, and it's one of those things that I don't have an engineer, a producer, an editor, anybody to hand. You see, it's just me. So I either just stop the show <laughs> and try and sort it out, which I can't do, or I soldier on without it. So I'm going to have to do that. Sincere apologies for this. The phone-ins are very popular. We get inundated with calls, but you can't get through to me. And I can't take the calls in. I know this stuff pretty much inside out as far as you can know it, but this seems to be a bit weird. Anywho, it's not related in any way to the hack on the website last week. So, um, no, it isn't. Look, I'll tell you what, we'll talk about something else momentarily. Because I'm, I've been following this story. We've talked about it this week, haven't we? Monday and Tuesday. And this is the story of Constance Martin and Mark Gordon. This is a real, real mystery, this. This is a couple who were on a 53-day chase with the police until earlier this week. A couple who recently had a baby. And having had the baby, they immediately, they had the baby outside of hospital and there was no midwife present. At least none that the authorities in this country are aware of. When the baby was born, they basically scarpered, right? They, they, they left got into a car and drove away and the car was later on found abandoned and it had been on fire. So um, hundreds of officers using sniffer dogs, drones and thermal cameras are scouring Brighton or woodland around uh, Brighton. They believe that the baby, the, the, the couple's child might have come to serious harm. They caught up with the couple on Monday, didn't they? But uh, the couple are not saying where the baby is, whether the baby has been abandoned somewhere or whether it has been left, the child has been left with friends. A really strange story, this. She's 35 and her father is um, of nobility, an aristocrat. He is an American guy. He's a, a convicted rapist and registered sex offender. This might explain, at least I've been, you know, again to use that term, hypothesizing. This might explain why they went on the run. You know, they might have feared that when the child was born that social services may have come along and attempted to take the child away from them because of his previous convictions. This is not unheard of, by the way. I also speculated, maybe I shouldn't have speculated, that um, having the child, if that wasn't the the reason, if, if, if if, if they were not worried about the child being taken away because of the father's background, maybe they've got issues with vaccines and stuff like that and all these things going around but uh, anyway they're in custody and the police have asked for more time to question this particular uh, couple the detective leading the case has been speaking to the media today i can confirm that uh, constance martin and mark gordon remain in police custody here in sussex an application for the extension of their detention 
uh, for a further 36 hours has been sought from Brighton Magistrates Court. The police searches of the baby continue and we must consider that the baby has to come to serious harm. Detectives from the Met Specialist Crime Command are now leading inquiries to locate the baby because of the resources, technology and expertise available to them in this very complex investigation. Right, so there's the detective heading up the case. The latest, as being reported by the BBC, is pretty much that they're scouring a 90 square mile area looking for this missing child and the parents are saying nothing. Strange one that, isn't it? A really uh, strange story that. And again, I'm interested in it because we've covered forced adoption and we've covered parents who have fled the UK to France, most often to France over the years because they feared that their child was going to be taken by the state. Yeah, I'd love to know more about that. I'm, 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 I'm uh, yeah. Have a listen to this report by BBC News 24 this afternoon about sex offenders going missing in the UK. Now here, hundreds of sex offenders have slipped off the police radar according to data obtained by the BBC. Police lost track of 729 sex offenders in a three-year period between 2019 and 2021. Many simply changed their name after they were convicted in order to avoid detection. Campaigners want tougher controls to stop that happening. Yeah, so guys can change their names, basically, and then get on with their lives and disappear off police radar and maybe go and live in other communities where people wouldn't know that they are a convicted sex offender. Constant, uh, excuse me, Emily Constantis works with a group called Safeguarding Alliance. She was on the same programme on the BBC talking about this today. Essentially, we have safe recruitment checks to make sure that actually only those who are appropriate to be working with children and adults at risk um, are, are doing so. But if one changes their name um, and essentially can evade the checks, what's the purpose of checking? How do we know who we're actually checking? So the impact that this has is absolutely huge um, and we can't underestimate it. Um, if somebody is on the sex offenders register because actually they are deemed a risk to society uh, uh, and they're meant to be on the register, um, if changing their name and failing to report it um, means that we don't know where they are and what they're doing, that is an absolutely, uh, is absolutely injustice to, to, to every single survivor that has ever had the courage to come forward and speak up. Um, what can be done? Because we don't have a system of um, identity cards in this country. We don't have papers that you have to present. So presumably if nobody, unless somebody is travelling abroad, in which case the gap between the name they give and the name that appears on the passport will be picked up. I mean, are there mechanisms that we can find? Are there alternatives? Because in a sense you could say, yes, it's an offence to, to change your identity and disappear from the sex offenders register. But the enforcement of that or preventing it, presumably we don't actually have the tools for at the moment. No, and this is the issue. It's all very well saying it's a criminal offence. Well, it's a criminal offence to um, actually commit the criminal offence that they've committed in the first place. It's actually actually put them on the sex offenders register. Um, so it's it's not good enough just to sit back on our laurels and say that we have legislation to deal with it. Um, that that's not a, a deterrent enough to stop people changing their name names. We know um, through cases that have come forward. We know through our very very brave survivor um, and ambassador Della Wright, who came and spoke out. Actually, her, the the offender went on to 
Mr. Painter's name multiple times. Um, the enforceability aspect is a huge problem. Um, we're not tracking our sex offenders. Um, even when they're leaving the country, we only seem to track when they come back in. So actually, how do we know where anybody is? And if we think about other, um, other parts of the world, um, we know in some parts of Australia, travel is completely banned for sex offenders. We know in America, at the back of passports, it actually says um, in, in relation to them being a sex offender. But what do we do in the United Kingdom? We allow them to change their name, give them a new passport, and off they go. Change their name, give them a new passport, and off they go. Yes, Emily Constantis there, Safeguarding Alliance, speaking about the madness of people who have committed serious sex offences against women and children, changing their name and then disappearing off the radar of the police. It's coming up for six minutes to the top of the hour. It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to sort this software issue out from here. And I can't get anybody to do it remotely. And this is a live radio show. It's a real problem. I'm getting emails from people telling me they're desperately trying to get on to talk to me. I know. And I'm sorry about that. I really am. It's one of those bloody things, isn't it? It's Murphy's Law. I'm not the May West myself anyway. I've not been well, as you know, of late. Bit knackered. In fact, I was due after the programme this evening to go just a little bit down the road to watch Manchester United play West Ham. But um, so drained am I that um, I gave my ticket away this morning and I won't be going. I'll watch it on TV a bit later on. So there you go. Just on echo chambers and narcissism. And I don't feel in any way as that I'm picking on anybody because you can't pick on an avatar. You can't pick on a silly pseudonym. You know, the great majority of people who leave comments on the website, I have no idea who they are. I haven't a clue who they are or where they are because... They, understandably, I don't blame them. They don't give any clues to um, w where they might be or who they are. We don't collect data on richieallen.co.uk, so I don't, I don't have any idea who they are. But going back to the person who uses the, the, the username Banjo, or mind-crazed Banjo, whatever that means, um, is a bit upset because of what I said earlier on, which is completely appropriate. If you don't like hearing something from somebody... You don't have to listen. Now, he came back, and this is a wonderful opportunity to talk about narcissism and to talk about echo chambers. He came back to say that he thinks he or she is being told that they don't have to listen anymore because he or she is persona non grata. And then says, doesn't take much, does it? I don't know what any of that means. That sounds like narcissism to me. Why, and, and, and this is for everybody, why... And, and don't tell me, by the way, and I'm not speaking to this banjo character, I'm talking to you. Why does it bother you so much when anybody, not just me, critiques or criticises something you believe to be valuable or important? If you think something or somebody or a platform is interesting or important, why would it offend you that much when somebody else criticises it and says, well, I don't have any time for it or I don't find it valuable? There's only one answer, and I shouldn't say this because then I'm falling for binary choice. I, I'm something I criticise others for doing. But I think there might only be one answer. You are acutely narcissistic. You've got a huge problem and a massive chip on your shoulder. It shouldn't matter. I love lots of different things, podcasts, music, football teams, rugby teams, um, people, some people in the public eye, and I don't give a damn what anybody else thinks about the things that I choose to consume, you know, the, 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 the media I consume in all its forms, news, you know, books, what have you, 
doesn't bother me. I find it fascinating that people get their knickers in a twist. I also find it fascinating that when a platform is telling a viewer what that viewer wants to hear, the viewer will forgive all manner of transgressions by that particular platform. Now, for the last time in 2023, and I very rarely do this, as you well know, a platform I have been critical of in the past told people that teachers were eating babies at a primary school in Hampstead Heath. You know who did that? You know the guy's name. He's a former Navy officer. And he's a pathological lawyer and a dangerous maniac. And we know that he knew that was monumental bollocks, but he told those stories in any case. Why did he do that? Well, he did that to draw attention to himself. For, for clicks and for likes and for follows. So nothing that that person ever says ever again for eternity could ever be taken seriously. And that's a fact, you see. That isn't conjecture. That's not something I made up. That is nonsense. And I find it extraordinary. It doesn't matter what they do. And I don't mean that particular idiot, but any other platform, it doesn't matter how many times they got they get caught out telling lies. Well, they they tell me what I want to hear, so it doesn't matter. I'm going to ignore all that. I find that really fascinating because I have really liked platforms in the past. I shouldn't use the term platform. They use the term platform. By they, I mean the legacy media. But I've liked content creators in the past. I've thought them pretty decent. But then I've discovered, not because anybody told me, but I've discovered through listening to them or watching them, that they're just monumental grifters telling lies. So I just say, okay, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> Doesn't matter that I like what it is you're, you're saying on something else, on some other subject. I, I can't, can't have anything to do with that. And I'm, it's a real, it's certainly not a field of study for me. I don't have the time, but I really am interested in why people become so animated, so aggressive when their media of choice is criticised. What difference does it make if I criticise it? Freedom of speech. Am I not entitled to have an opinion? Am I not? And like I said earlier on, if the opinions are boring or if they are enraging you or if you find them repetitive, switch off. It's that simple. Uh, no grudges will be held, certainly not on, on my behalf, because, or certainly not for me, I should say, because I've incredibly thick skin. I just don't care. There endeth the lesson. I'm going to drop that now. Think about it. And it won't be... I like to think the majority of people who listen to this programme are not so narcissistic. Why? Those of you who do go crazy when anybody says something you don't like about a third party. Why would that bother you? Why could you not simply say, well, I like them, or I like him, or I like her? Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Absolutely. I have never, in my independent media days, have I, I've never said that somebody should not be listened to. I have never said, don't listen to that. Never. But occasionally, when it is warranted, I've fired a couple of shots at one or two content creators because um, I believe it was necessary to do that at the time. People go crazy. It's kind of funny. It's also kind of sad because it's certainly, it's counterproductive, isn't it? It's coming up for a minute past the hour. God damn the software.
You can stop emailing me now through the website. I'm getting the emails because there isn't anything I can do about it to take your calls today, but I'll get it sorted. And if it's possible, we'll do the phone in tomorrow. And if it isn't, we'll do the phone in very early next week. This is the sort of thing that would have embarrassed me at one time. But because the programme is pretty decently established now, you know the score. I am sitting here in a state-of-the-art studio. It is the last word in technical splendour. But I'm on my own. And when something goes wrong like this, there isn't anything I can do. It did happen. This happened last year, but it was on the other system. I had an analogue studio previously. And it happened as well. Well, it was a kind of a hybrid, analogue kind of hybrid um, 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 digital. But this is pure digital. As I said, it's splendid. It's amazing. I've posted photographs of it on Facebook. But it's just uh, not playing ball with me today. Strange one. It, it did some strange things yesterday. I began yesterday's programme and my mic kicked into mono for no reason whatsoever. So there are gremlins in the works, dear listener. But um, we just have to improvise, adapt and overcome. I was uh, taught that many years ago doing live outside broadcasts for WLRFM in Waterford. Sometimes things go tits up, improvise, adapt and overcome. But let's talk about this briefly. While, while, while um, there's plenty of time to kill, it seems. Let's talk about this. Yesterday afternoon, talk TV presenters. GB News prevent presenters referring to their station or their network as the alternative media. People like Julia Hartley Brewer and Mike Graham on Talk TV. Um, people like people like what's his face on GB News. I can't think of his name. He used to present for Sky. Again, referring to themselves as the independent media. Do you see anything wrong with that? Does that not concern you? You know, there's been an independent media ever since I began. To, to, to think that something was very wrong with the world, which was back in 2004, 2005, I, be, I became aware of an independent media. Back then you had a very interesting Infowars presented by Alex Jones and a cast of, 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 uh, of characters, many of whom are not there anymore. And I found, found it fascinating. You had Maria in Arizona. She'd been in New York. She basically put the first podcast together. Um, from an alternative media point of view. Yeah, Jim Mars, all this stuff was out there. You know, Jordan Maxwell, God God rest him, we, of course, had Jordan on this programme many, many, many times. I used to interview him many times when I was doing, in, it wasn't independent, I was working for Talk Radio Europe in Spain and I did an evening programme exploring many of the themes that we still talk about on shows like this today. So there was a viable and a growing independent, and it was completely independent media. Like Infowars, he was doing his own thing. I know that GCN did syndicate him at the time. You had Mike Rivera, what really happened? You had loads, loads of them. You had Jeff Rents and people like that. You had George, what's his name? It was George Newry. There were so many of them out there. And sometimes you'd hear some absolute cloud cuckoo stuff on there. Or at least at the time, you thought, well, that's just crazy shite. But it was good. You know, it was good. It was basically open discussions and stuff like that. And it does gall me. Not so much anymore. I've I've learned to live with it. it. It concerns me now that they 
are branding themselves as independent media. And they are referring to the BBC, Channel 4 and Sky News as the mainstream media. And I wonder if I'm being paranoid. And uh, we're all paranoid sometimes, aren't we? I wonder, is, is, is that part of this whole online safety bill agenda being pushed by this current government? The online safety bill, which I am 100% convinced is not about protecting children from harms online. And protecting children from harm online is important, but I would rather it was left to their parents, to their guardians, to their adult parents, or in the absence of parents, to their adult guardians. That's what I would argue. I'm sure you'd agree with me, right? The state shouldn't be taking over parenting. But it's important. There's a lot of really crap stuff on the internet. It's still pretty easy to go online and see the most disgusting stuff coming out of the Middle East. Whether it's Syria, whether it's Libya. You know, sometimes five, six-year-old videos, but of terrible things, really awful things. The aftermath of battles, executions, dreadful stuff, right? So protecting children, obviously very delicate, you know, children whose minds are only developing and forming and learning from that stuff is important but that should be left up to parents parents ultimately are responsible for their children and it should be the parent who determines how often a child goes online and in my opinion the parent should be present most of the time when a child is online and by children we're talking about people under 15 or under 14 in in my mind as I'm saying this 16 year olds 17 year olds you can't be present when they're online all the time of course you can't But back to this crazy situation where massive, you know, national news channels, because they are massive, I mean, they've grown exponentially in the last couple of years because they, on the face of it, they seem to be pushing back against the tyranny. By they, I mean GB News and by Talk TV. And I'm completely open to the idea that Mark Stein and Neil Oliver and others are sincere. I'm sure they are. And no way am I casting aspersions on, on, on their personalities. I'm not questioning their legitimacy as voices speaking out against the tyranny. I'm not. These things are complicated, I think, or they can be. You know, quite often compartmentalization. Some of these presenters, genuine people, they want to ask questions. We'll see what happens this time as time goes by, because the online safety bill will be published eventually. It's not about protecting children. It's about getting rid of the genuine independent media. That is my opinion. The genuine independent media that discusses the need for a completely new system of living, that discusses subjects like, well, we, we're never going to change anything through the ballot box, that politics is completely and utterly corrupt, business is completely and utterly corrupt. There's got to be a new way for people to live outside of those systems. We can't change, we cannot defeat tyranny from within these systems. That's what you get from the genuine independent media. The GB News of this world, the talk TV stations of this world will talk about tyranny, but they will do that from within the parameters of, from the starting point that we need new politicians. That's the starting point. You see, that's the difference. With GB News, with Talk TV, with Fox News Australia, with uh, Tucker Carlson, 
in Fox News, New York, wherever he's based, the starting point is, it's dreadful, but we need new leaders. That's the starting point. My starting point, I suppose, and I don't spend too much time telling you the way it is as I understand it. I don't do that. I spend most of my time listening to you, reading your comments or interviewing people and listening to them. I don't do so much of the commentary apart from the monologues, right? But if I was to start saying this is the way it is, um, well, no, the starting point should not be that we need new leaders. That would be where I would start from. And and that's the, the, the difference between GB News Talk TV today and the independent media as I understand it and as I understood it. In the independent media as I understand it, back in the day, nothing was off the table. Nothing. Everything was up there. Mind control, MK Ultra, directed energy weapons, um, um, chem trail, uh, geoengineering as a, a real thing, as, as, as a real agenda. Is it going on? We discussed these things. Will GB News and Talk TV, if the independent media disappears because it is basically driven off the internet by the UK government and then governments around the world, will GB News and Talk TV take it to those... W- w- will it discuss those issues? Will it make space on its programming for geoengineering, for the possibility that earthquakes can be caused by, we've talked with Tony Gosling, former BBC journalist about this, by, you know, carefully placing explosives uh, near or around fault lines. Now, I'm not saying any of this is possible um, or even theoretical, even theoretically possible, but that's what we do in the independent media. We open up these discussions and we listen to people who do believe these things are possible and then we allow listeners to make their own minds up as to whether this is even a possibility. Will GB News and Talk TV do that in the future, in the absence of programmes like this and others? That's the thing. Because I get asked all the time to differentiate between what's going on on the new so-called alternative news channels, which are big and have enormous amounts of capital behind them and have done well in the last couple of years around COVID and have grown their audiences. These are the platforms now, the programmes that are increasingly giving politicians radio and television programmes. Right? These are networks which claim to be the alternative. They claim to be the the antithesis, easy for me to say, of the legacy media, when in fact they are the legacy media. They're, they're basically the same thing. Giving politicians television programmes. Uh, GB News has just given Jacob Rees-Mogg a, a four-night-a-week television programme. It is farcical. He interviewed the Conservative Party MP Lee Anderson on one of his first programmes this week. It was a joke. A joke. A national news channel handing airtime to a Tory MP, giving him his own show where he sits and interviews Tory MPs. How could that be the alternative? How could that not be the mainstream media? But that's what's going on. So every time you hear Julia Hartley Brewer or Mike Graham or or 
Dan Wooten, or Wooten, whoever it's pronounced on GB News, claiming to be the alternative, after you stop laughing, you know, make people aware in, in, in your own way that this is not the alternative. That there has been for two decades or more. More, because before the advent of podcasts and and uh, live streams and YouTube and all of that, again, guys like David Icke were travelling around the country and around the world speaking to people in theatres and in pubs and clubs and in open-air gatherings saying to people, there is an or- there is an agenda that wishes to take human beings into a very dark future where everything they do will be controlled. So there was, we've had a real genuine open to discussing anything independent media for many, many, many years. And now we have behemoth organisations funded by God knows who um, on your Sky uh, platform, on your free TV, national, claiming to be the independent and amazingly referring to the BBC and to Sky as the mainstream media. Did any of that make any sense? Did it? This is ironic now. The uh, the title of this song is very ironic. Uh, Sing as you can't call me. And I'm genuinely sorry for that, he says, as his voice is about to disappear. Yeah, and Steve came on to talk about the harp machine on the uh, live chat. And again, Steve, that reminds me of doing the shows in Spain in the uh, early, well, not the early noughties, the late noughties, 2009-2010, speaking to Nick Begich about harp. If the independent media disappears because it is censored off the internet, and I don't do fear porn, I don't know if that will definitely happen. I know that the architects of the agenda would like it to happen. They'd like us to be, and by us I mean, you know, a great a, a great deal of content creators. Uh, as you well know, it's it's certainly not about uh, about uh, about me or about this show. There are a lot of people endeavouring to put good quality content online, which challenges the establishment narrative. There are a lot of people doing it, and some people do it really, really well, very impressively. And it's those people they want off the internet, right? And it might not happen for a considerable length of time. It, excuse me, it might not happen for several years. It, it might happen sooner. I hate repeating myself, but I think what's going to happen is Ofcom is... is there is a big push at the moment. Internet radio and internet podcasting is not regulated. And this is to the annoyance of the big media companies, the BBC, Channel 4, Sky. I should name the even bigger media companies. You know, Time Warner, Global Bauer in this country. They are not at all happy that I can come on here to speak to you Monday to Thursday and that I do not have to have a license to do that. That I can build a studio and broadcast from it and interview people, chat with them, take a few phone calls from you, wrap it up, couple of tunes, live, get it off, get it online. They don't like that. They want it to be licensed. And of course, with regulation, of course, comes rules. Rules and laws. Now, many of the laws and, I should say regulations, because I 
I, you know I'm an expert in nothing except one thing, and that is broadcasting regulations here in this country. Most of the regulations laid down for the broadcast media are pretty common sense. And they are primarily to do with harm. But not the sort of wokey harm that you might be imagining now. But to do with genuine harm. You know, incitement to violence and, and stuff like that. So most of these regulations are pretty they're pretty fair. You look at them and you think, okay, I should never fall foul of those. But here's the but. What they want is, they want to change the regulations. So first of all, they want to regulate the independent media. They want Ofcom in this country. Let's just talk about the UK, because I can't really talk about the United States. They want Ofcom to regulate, say, let's just talk about the Richie Allen show. Let's talk about this show. They want this show to be regulated. Why? Well, it's not for the licence fee, which would only be a couple of hundred, hundred quid in any case. It's not for that. It is because they would then seek to find fault with your programming um, to, to initially warn you, to then ultimately fine you, and then later on to withdraw your licence to broadcast. That is what they want to do. And I know this. To my bone marrow, I know this is what's going on. And I'm, I'm lucky enough, I've picked up many a contact over the years, men and women who work in academia. There's one gentleman in particular, he's one of the most senior journalists in the country. A gentleman, you don't see him on the BBC, you don't see him on, on Sky. He's uh, lecturing these days, but he's done everything. And he had an epiphany some years ago, and I interviewed him a few, I won't mention his name today, I interviewed him a few times on this programme, but you won't remember it because the most recent time is about six years ago. He's a remarkable man, and he attends conferences quite regularly. And uh, most of the attendees would know him as a great journalist, but they wouldn't know that he's interested in shows like this, because he keeps that pretty secret, right? Not just this show, but it, other shows in the independent media. And he attends these conferences. And he has said to me once or twice in recent years that um, what, what he hears at these conferences, these are journalism conferences, is pretty scary. Because increasingly, as time has gone on in recent years, at these conferences, um, people will pipe up and say, we need to do something about the alternative media. Why should they be running riot on the internet saying whatever it is they want about vaccines and about false flag operations? We need to do something about them. They are planning to do something about them. It's called the Online Safety Bill, which is basically a Trojan horse which claims that, as I said a few minutes ago, at the risk of repeating myself, claims to want to protect children online. But they don't give a damn about children. What it wants to do is, it wants to declare, ultimately, that, 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 that there should be a set of absolutes. Here's what they want to do in a nutshell. Declare absolutes. De declare, declare that on any given topic, here is the truth, and here is the lie. Now, who becomes the arbiter of the truth? Who gets to determine what is true and what isn't true? Well, you can guess the answer to that. And in the future, um, in the near future, when the independent content creators like me are told, if you don't apply for a licence, you'll be told 
you must shut down your operation. And if you don't shut down your operation, your equipment will be confiscated. Now, they'll give you the license. This is the thing that makes me laugh. Some people email me and say, oh, they'll never give you a license, Richie. Wise up. They will give me the license in a heartbeat. Of course, there's the license. We we pay whatever we pay for it. We're now licensed. The Richie Allen Show is licensed and is regulated by Ofcom. So what happens then? A few weeks down the line, lovely doctor like Jerry Waters comes on the programme, who was on the programme last week. Uh, Jerry, Irishman. Great Irishman. Jerry comes on and tells me that he couldn't offer his patients the mRNA jabs in good conscience because he believed they might be dangerous. That's violation number one, says Ofcom. I will get a letter through the door. Say so you're in breach of our guidelines and you're in breach of the terms of your, your licence. The jabs are safe. They have been declared safe by the World Health Organisation, which is the de facto authority on such matters. That's strike number one. Baldy. Right? Strike number one. You've been warned. That's how it works. It's basically a three strikes and you're out system. You don't lose a warning, by the way. Not like YouTube, where they remove a warning after two months. So then a few months down the line, maybe a few days down the line, somebody comes on to, uh, to talk about something else that's deemed to be controversial. Could be anything. And again, the Ministry of Truth has determined what the truth is and what the lie is. I bring an academic on and they talk about something else and they make a declaration on the programme saying that the government is wrong, that, I don't know, doctors are wrong, whatever it might be. Now, I challenge them, because I do, and I say, well, hang on a second now, uh, the government says this, or, you know, the Royal College of Nurses says this, why are they wrong? And the person says, well, I think they're wrong because. Letter in the post, that's strike two, that's a £1,000 fine. Don't have a thousand pounds. What am I going to do? Crowdfund it, maybe, probably not. And then five months down the line, I bring somebody on and they say, you know what, Richie, that terrorist attack that took place in Brussels on Wednesday, that's strange, that, isn't it? It looked weird, that. And then you could make an argument that this attack suited such and such an agenda. And we know, Richie, that sometimes the security services they do stage attacks and they do those things because they want to change the minds of the public. They want the public to react in a certain way. Ofcom gets in touch again. Strike three. No such thing as false flag operations. You shouldn't allow that on your programme. You're platforming lunatics. Now you're gone. Your licence to broadcast has been revoked. You must, uh, you must undertake, commit to not doing your programme Monday to Thursday. You can do the Sunday morning show if you like, as long as you don't mention politics when you're doing it. So, of course, on Monday, I rock up at five o'clock and I introduce the programme and I say, coming up a bit later on, Tony Gosling from the BBC is going to jump in. I've also got Jenny uh, from Portugal, Jenny Lowe's, uh, a nurse who did everything in the NHS, taught nurses, trained nurses, uh, critical care, everything. Jenny's coming on. On Tuesday... The old bill turn up and say, we're going to take your equipment. You don't have a license to broadcast. And you went on the internet last night and broadcast. Now that all sounds very spooky and scary. It also sounds, maybe to the ears of some, it sounds far-fetched. That's not far-fetched. That is going to happen. But, but when is the question? When? Next year? Probably not. The year after? Maybe. 
The year after that, I don't know. They will declare that it is basically against the law for you, the presenter, or any of your guests to make statements contrary to statements put out by the World Health Organization, the chief medical officer, whichever department it might be. You're not a trusted source anymore. You've got to go. So that's how it's going to be, I think, in in the um, in the near future. And I know, because you've got to be honest, I, I, I did say a year and a half ago that this might be happening now, around about this time. But it isn't because that online harms bill, they, they changed the name to the online safety bill. They kicked it into the long grass. Now they're kicking it back out of the long grass and now they're ramping it up for 2023. And that's where we're going to be. And you might ask me, do, do you spend a lot of time thinking about it? I do, I have to say. More as time goes on, I, I wonder, when will it happen? You know, we, we, we attempted to make an online television station work in London in 2013, and it didn't work out. It was a bit of a disaster. And I've given my tuppence worth on why it failed many a time. Moving from radio to telly was a disaster, and some of the people running it were completely incompetent and it didn't work in any case. And of course, I then relocated to Manchester and in the summer of 2014, the Richie Allen Show, as you know, it was born. So all, you know, good things come out of failures sometimes. But we were, when I say we, not me, because I wasn't in a position of management. I presented a television programme in London, but I had no executive role whatsoever. None. I mean, I was listened to on occasion when I offered an opinion, but I didn't have anything to do with fundraising for it. I had nothing to do with with the allocation of money, nothing. I was an employee of the People's Voice. It failed, it was a shame, but it didn't really stand a chance, right? One of the things we didn't know, by we, I mean the people running it, was that to to do online television, you do need an Ofcom licence. Online television is regulated by the broadcast regulator in the United Kingdom. And they didn't know that at the time. A guy called Sean Adel, who uh, David had given the job of doing the day-to-day because Adel had worked in the BBC. But Adel had greatly, this is not David's fault at all, Adel had greatly exaggerated his experience and was ultimately completely incompetent and hired even more incompetent people to work alongside him. Anywho, not that I'm bitter. I'm not remotely bitter. When it all went tits up, I was like, ah, well, you win some, you lose some, let's move on and do something else. But they didn't know that online TV was was uh, regulated. And by online TV, that is television with a defined schedule, which we had. A schedule, you know, Monday to Sunday. These are the programmes you can expect. And it was regulated. And we were forced to, to, uh, to get a licence. And at the time, Ofcom said, of course you can have a licence. This is the fee. And we paid it. And we were not on air long enough in London to fall foul of Ofcom. We would have done, inevitably. There was a crazy woman whose name won't be mentioned. um, Complete narcissist who wanted to go on air and make wild and unproven claims about the McCanns. Now, don't scream at me. I have no idea what happened to Madeleine McCann. I'm open-minded. I've no idea, right? 
and um, this woman wanted to go on the air on live television and make all sorts of accusations against the McCanns. Of course, we didn't let her. Did we censor her? No, we didn't. It's good journalism not to go on television or radio and accuse somebody of murdering their own daughter unless you've got proof of it, which uh, the woman in question, of course, didn't have any proof whatsoever. It was a bit like the Wild West in London. But we did have the Ofcom licence, and as I said, never spent enough time on air to fall foul of it, and that would have been interesting. Really. I mean, we, we would have done. I mean, I was on five days a week with the live TV show. Eventually, somebody would have said something, and uh, we, we, we would have fallen foul of it. So the only thing that isn't regulated by Ofcom, just to finish on this train, train of thought, and I will read your comments, the only thing is basically internet radio and online podcasters. So you might have a BitChute channel. You might go on there. Uh, Vernon Coleman, very successful, uh, former doctor, of course, uh, Dr. Vernon Coleman, very successful on BitChute and other platforms. Qualified man uh, would use it to sit there in his chair and talk about the pandemic and the problems with the way it was being dealt with and all of that. That's not regulated, but that's the thing they want to regulate. Yeah, rumble and all of that. And um, I kind of think it's like the cashless society. And my voice is going to go now in a minute. I can feel it. This is a left. This is a secondary infection. You know, I had pneumonia and I was out for five days a couple of weeks back. I was in a bad way, genuinely bad way. And uh, that went away. And now I've got this sore chest and my throat again. This is why I've not gone. I was going to finish up today at seven and head down the road. It's only a 20 minute walk down the road to watch uh, United. And I decided this morning, I just don't have the energy. So I uh, gave my ticket away because I'm a nice guy. I'm a bunch of nice guys. I'm a nice bunch of guys. Bit of a, bit of um, what are we? We're all, every one of us. Every one of us is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? If we're a nice bunch of guys, we're all, I can't think of the term anyway. So yeah, the voice is going to go in, in any in any case, momentarily, I think, uh, brace yourself, because if I can't speak tomorrow, I can't speak, but I, I might be okay. I've got sweets for it. So the sarcastic window cleaner says, Richie, platforms like GB News and Talk TV, if they really were alternative media, they wouldn't have to keep on telling us that they are on a bloody loop. Yeah, they wouldn't have to tell us, says the sarcastic window cleaner, that we are not part of the establishment or that the mainstream media had their chance, blah, 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 says the window cleaner. It drives me mad. It did drive me mad. Now, I just find it interesting. You're right, it is repetitive, and it is certainly being given to the presenters. It is in their scripts. It's on their notes. It's on the the autocue to refer to themselves as the independent media. And to go all the way back to my long-winded, boring ramble, and I'm, I'm not fishing for compliments, I, I do bore myself at times, to go back to the beginning of it, GB News and Talk TV and others, even though I like some of the people who are on these channels, and I do believe them to be sincere, but maybe they don't know what's going on. These channels are being presented to us at around about the time that they are beginning to legislate for the genuine independent media. So that when we're gone, there's your independent media now. 
If you want to hear somebody question the vaccines, but, but of course by then they won't be allowed to question the vaccines. If you want somebody to disagree with the government about lockdowns or whatever, go to GB News, go to Talk TV. And maybe by that point, the presenters like Neil Oliver, who I know a lot of people listening to this programme like, he won't be there anymore. That's the thing, you see. You know? Busy came on to say, weather modification, conspiracy stuff, no. And sent us a link to an article in The Guardian from 2001 about uh, causing floods, rainmakers, cloud seeding. That's right. And didn't a bunch of countries get together in the 1970s and sign a declaration to the effect that they agreed that they would not try to modify the weather? Why would they do that unless the technology was either imminent or already existed? And I think you and I, busy, we believe the technology already existed. Quite a few of you have come on to say that you kind of agree about GB News being a distraction and talk TV. Not, you know, not not that my way is the highway, it's not. But I think, I think I understand it as it is, you know. Those platforms, to use that terrible term, they start from the outset. Their starting point is government is good. Tories, Labour, Lib Dems, SNPs, this is the system. It's not Tories, Labour, SNP, Lib Dems, uh, what have you. That's not the problem. The problem is the people within that system. This is their starting point. We have the wrong leaders. And what does GB News and Talk TV do, dear listener? It puts those who they believe to be the right leaders on television and gives them their own television and radio programmes. Isn't that astonishing? It really is, to me. Can't imagine it. When I started out, if anybody had suggested that we gave a a programme to an elected MP, or, of course, in Ireland it's a TD, Choc de Imagine that. The regulator in Ireland would have come down on us like a ton of bricks. You can't put politicians on the air and give them a programme. Are you mad? I mean, does it occur to you? Or does it go over your head? And I don't suggest go over your head because I think you're stupid. You're far from stupid. You're very bright, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm not puttering you up. I think you're incredibly bright. I mean, does it not stun you that Jacob Rees-Mogg could sit on an Ofcom regulated channel like GB News and interview a Tory MP called Lee Anderson? Obviously not challenge a thing that Lee Anderson says because, well, Jacob Rees-Mogg is a Tory MP after all. So you see what they're doing? Getting ready to turn the screws on the independent content creators. And we live and die by the generosity of our audiences. Live and die by. There is no Richie Allen show unless some of our listeners, and it's a very tiny minority, and uh, that's not now to criticise those who don't contribute, because I have never, and never will, criticise those who don't contribute. Never. But it's a tiny minority who put their hands into their pockets every month and say, there you go. That'll keep the show going. That will help towards the cost of putting it on air. That's us. That's all we have. No correspondence. 
you know, no producers. It's us. And there are many of us. Some of them are brilliant and some of them are grifters. But it's the same everywhere. It doesn't matter what walk of life, whether it's the media or anything else. They're getting ready to turn the screws on us and say to us, you will be licensed. If you're not, you will be gone. They've already given people the idea that GB News and Talk TV are anti-establishment when they are the establishment. I mean, they couldn't be any more the establishment, could they? If they wanted to be. Here's a tune from Prince. Don't worry. I won't hurt. Nothing is going right today. I dragged in 1999 by Prince, thinking it was 1999, and it is a seven-minute-long extended version. It's just been one of those blooming days. Let me take another tune. When I come back, I'll read more of your comments, and uh, the time is flying now, isn't it? I actually rambled on for a while there, so I did. I can ramble with the best of them. Men at work and down under. I've just had a half a gallon of water there for the old voice. I will put this on podcast later on, but it's against my better judgment. I take great pride in what I do. And again, I'm not fishing for compliments here. I take an enormous amount of pride in what it is I do. I'm proud of my job and I'm proud of my experience. And this has been car crash shite this tonight, hasn't it? With the uh, software collapsing on me and preventing me taking phone calls. And then me waffling on then. So I apologise for that. For those of you trying to get through, I've had about 30 different emails. It's funny because when they were trying to get through to me, they weren't listening to me. (laughs) So they couldn't hear me saying, listen, it's not working at the moment. And that embarrasses me because I spent a fortune on this new studio. I mean, good God, you know. The, um, and I'm proud of that too. And Paul says to me, Paul, my engineer, and please keep Paul in your prayers and your thoughts, by the way. He's, um, he's having a big battle at the moment, Paul. He, he's, uh, his, his beautiful, wonderful wife, Maxine, died suddenly before Christmas. And um, there's a big story there and that, you know, I, I wouldn't dream of talking about it. Paul might talk about it someday in the future. And um, he's got his own health issues at the moment, which are serious. And he's the nicest man that ever lived. And I'm not just saying that. I love the man. Love everything about him. He's, he's fantastic. But, um, and I mentioned him for a reason. <laughs> he said to me um, back in the summer of last year, he said, you're crazy to do what it is you're doing. To, you know, rip out the perfectly, you know, workable and decent analogue studio and to go the road that you've gone down, which is to spend thousands and thousands and thousands on, on this this new studio, with everything else that's going on. But I did. And um, that's why I would be embarrassed, you see, to not be able to take phone calls, because this is, it's, it's genuinely top broadcast quality stuff. But um, I have a feeling it's a little o- upgrade that the manufacturers of the desk... See, this is a broadcast console. It's a broadcast mixer. It does TV and radio. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the manufacturers of it, when I let them in, and these are good people, so don't panic. Take your conspiratorial hat off your head for a moment. This is not sabotage. These are great people, right? They're in Spain. They love the show. They never heard of the show, these people. 
like a lot of people, never heard of this show, right? The great majority of people on planet Earth have never heard of this show. They never heard of it. But when they sold me the gear and we got it all installed, out of curiosity, they started listening. These are English people in Spain. Big company called AEQ. It's an amazing company. They supply broadcast studios for commercial radio stations, for everything, right? They started listening, at least the owner of the company, and he, and, he, and he listens to this day. He listens to this day. He might not be listening today. He tends to grab the podcast. Lovely guy, found it very interesting. Um, the, the, the guests, you know, and, and, and the things they talk about. So um, they will be able to patch in remotely, I suppose, probably tomorrow, probably Friday. Maybe tomorrow, probably Friday, and sort it out, such is the technology today. So yeah, it embarrasses me as somebody who... Excuse me, takes great pride in it, that it goes tits up like that today. But it's a rare thing. And this is still relatively new. This only really began in October, didn't it? And um, you're bound to have teasing problems for the first uh, few months. But again, apologies to everybody who tried to ring in and to Skype in that I couldn't do it today. But we'll do it. If not tomorrow, we'll do it Monday or Tuesday next week. And uh, Baird and Shambhala came on to say, Richie... You know, you're right about weather. Um, owning the weather is a, a desire, um, a, an agenda. Shambhala came on to say the Open Skies Treaty uh, stated that nations wouldn't use geoengineering technology against each other, but that didn't discount using it against their own populations. That's absolutely right. The technology's been around for a long time. And again, and I am labouring the point, and if I was listening to the mainstream media... Or if I was listening to myself, I'd be screaming at myself to shut up and stop repeating yourself, Richie. But these are the things that the the, the new so-called alternative media, which is actually national media, well, they'll never talk about this stuff. And anybody who dares raise, you know, the, the issue of geoengineering of barium, strontium and aluminium being dumped into the atmosphere. How long do you think they'll last on GB News when the independent media is gone? When the genuine indie media is gone? When will, where will anybody ever hear about that stuff? Ever again? The answer is they won't. They won't hear about weather warfare. They won't hear about disaster capitalism. You know, the genuine possibility that things like Haiti were actually engineered. Now, I'm well aware that to most people, whether they listen to me or whether they listen to the BBC, most people in the world think that's crazy. It couldn't possibly be happening. It's just not a reality. I think it might be a reality. Might very well be. But it's only on programmes like this that you'll ever hear that discussed. And, you, you know, you will hear me speaking with people and, and challenging them. Say, come on, where's the proof? Where are the photographs? Where are the blueprints? Where are the schematics? You've got to do that. That's your bloody job. But I suspect these things have been happening for many a long time. I interviewed a man many years ago, a lovely man. Um, Greenpeace guy, big into climate change. God love him, right? But a good guy. And he had been testing soil samples in, in Hawaii where he suspected that geoengineering, that that chem training was going on. Now, when I when I first interviewed this guy, 
I was very sceptical about chemtrailing and stuff like that. Very sceptical. And I said, yeah, yeah, not so sure about that. And he was taking soil samples where the, the, the content, the trace levels, do you like that? Trace levels, just thought of that, of barium, strontium and aluminum, as they say over there, were off the charts, basically. And he never had any interest in chemtrailing. But he had to conclude the only place this could be coming from was the sky. That's where it was coming from. The sky. Bee colony collapses because of dementia. Dementia caused by elevated levels of aluminium in bees. Where is it coming from? The water? Maybe. The sky? Probably. These are the things. So when we're gone... When we're gone. When the real indie media is gone, these are subjects that will never see the light of day. You know? It's your job to make room for everything, isn't it? As as a programme that claims to be about open discussions. You talk about things you don't even... You know, that, that you yourself really don't give any credence to. I don't think the earth is flat. I don't. I would put my money on the simulation theory. If I had to have a bet on something, and I'd probably be wrong. What do I know, right? But I made room for it. I don't go about calling people who believe the earth is flat idiots or stupid. I don't think they're stupid. I believe if enough people are talking about something, why shouldn't you discuss it? Why shouldn't you hear it? Say, yeah. You know, my listeners can hear it. They can make their own minds up. None of this stuff will ever see the light of day ever again. If the the new national stations continue to position themselves as the independent media and they are helped along by the legacy media, who's quite happy for that paradigm, you know? Yeah, we're the trusted media, you're the crazy, you know, alternative media, GB News, and while that's going on, we will erase the independent media. Christine remembers uh, her old dad talking about weather modification and my father, says Christine, uh, died 22 years ago. Thanks for that, Christine. Yeah. And thanks to Patricia for your long message, Patricia. It's an interesting one. I'm reading the first couple of lines, but it's a long one. I'm wondering, says Patricia, here I am, a narcissist, and I have wondered about this since the COVID scam. When I realised there was something not right about what was going on, I was trying to share my opinions with family and friends, it drove me insane when they disagreed and said, that's your opinion. I didn't see it as an opinion, and I really didn't want them to have the jab. I wanted them to see things the way I saw them. I constantly shared stuff with them, which for the most part was ignored by them. The term narcissist seems to be bandied about a lot these days. I'm a bit confused about its exact meaning now. I don't think that's too relevant. It's very relevant, Patricia. But I don't think it's relevant to what I was saying earlier on about people melting down when, say, something they like is criticised, like their their favourite band is criticised, their favourite truther is criticised. I totally understand you. It's not narcissism when you genuinely believe that if your, your dear old mum or dad has the jab, it might harm them. To chase them around and share material with them to give them another point of view, there's nothing narcissistic about that at all. But if you like a, a truther, a content creator, 
and then you hear somebody criticising that person. But you like them because maybe they see things as you see them. And then you become very defensive and angry because the truther has been criticised by somebody else. That can be, at least we can discuss whether that might be narcissism. You know, it's certainly an echo chamber side effect, isn't it? I like a lot of people. Like when I was re reading David Icke years ago, and friends of mine would say, sure, that guy's a complete idiot, he's a madman. I never got offended by that. I didn't get angry with the people who said that. I said, well, well, it's up to you. You get to choose what you read and I'll read, you know, what I choose to read. Didn't piss me off. You two are shit when I was a big U2 fan. Bono's an idiot and saved the children, all this stuff. It's all, never bothered me. I just kept listening to the band. It's not narcissistic in any way to say to mum, dad, grandparents, hey, listen, and to keep doing it even when you're ignored and to get, you know, to get upset. I totally understand it because the jabs, it's been proven irrefutably that the jabs have harmed some or a lot of people. So, no, it's just that thing when people attach themselves to to uh, truthers and platforms and really get, you know, deep dive in there with these people. Um, often because those people are telling them the things they want to hear and then they get really pissed off when somebody else says, well, I don't really think much of of that particular message or that particular platform. That's the point I was making earlier on. I might have made it in a ham-fisted way. Listen, that's been a nightmare for me, but thank you for sticking with me for the best part of two hours. Sorry about the phone-in. I will get the, sp the, the spanners out. And the uh, WD-40, and we'll sort it out and we'll be back with a phone-in, if not tomorrow, definitely early next week. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. I'll speak to you tomorrow. Voice permitting, by the way, it really is shite. And my throat is like it's on fire at the moment. Uh, voice permitting, I will be with you tomorrow at 5 o'clock and I will have content for you that doesn't involve me sitting here talking to you for the best part of 90 minutes. All righty, look after yourselves and one another. Speak tomorrow at five. Thanks for sticking with it. If you did, if you didn't, you Baxters. I will put the podcast up, though it kills me to do so. It'll be online in about 20 minutes. Bye.